Welcome to More Than Medicine, where Jesus is more than enough for the ills that plague our culture and our country. Hosted by author and physician, Dr. Robert Jackson, with his wife, Carlotta, and daughter, Hannah Miller. So listen up, because the doctor is in. Welcome to More Than Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Jackson, bringing to you biblical insights and stories from the country doctor's rusty, dusty scrapbook. Well, today I have a very special guest with me. Her name is Laura Shar, S-C-H-A-R-R, Laura Shar, and she is with South Carolina SAFE Elections. Welcome, Miss Laura. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, Robert. Well, Miss Laura, um, first of all, let me tell the audience that you're from Lexington, South Carolina. And by the way, she today is in Pennsylvania, and she's agreed to let me interview her while she's out of state visiting with family. So I, I thank you, Miss Laura, for calling in and uh, being available. So tell tell my audience exactly what South Carolina Safe Elections is and how you came to be involved with that organization. Okay, yes, South Carolina Safe Elections. We're basically a grassroots citizens group, and we're dedicated to elections that are transparent, simple, and secure. And um, I really got involved with that because I saw what happened in 2020, and it just disturbed me, and I wanted to understand the whole process. Something just didn't feel right about it. And so I kept digging and digging, and over time, I... I decided to um, start this group up and a number of people have just um, joined the group and they bring unique talents to the group. And I like to say it's a God breathed group because we have people that have just come and they're just great patriots and they're good people. And, you know, we all do this on our own time and our own dime. And so um, many of these people are spending hours and hours like myself dedicated to just trying to get safe elections for South Carolina. Well, now, Miss Laura, I'm like you. I, there were things about the 2020 election that disturbed me, what I saw nationwide. Mm-hmm. And there were things about the South Carolina election that were disquieting to me. So t- tell me exactly what you all saw that caused you all to form an organization like South Carolina Safe Elections. Well, we, we saw from the other states that there were things that were disconcerting about the machines in general, the certification of the machines. We also had some analysis done by Seth Keschel that showed that our numbers, you know, the, the amount of votes we got in certain counties, that was that seemed out, out of the ordinary for um, Biden when you compared it to, for example, Clinton's performance um, in 2016. And, um, so so just there, that was a little odd. And it seems like every time we dug a little more, we found a little more disturbing issues. Can you give some examples of that? Yeah, like we knew that our machines were not properly certified. And so we thought, wow, that's, that's just not right. Well, how could that be? Um, and when we saw these numbers from Seth, and we saw also the money coming in from, for example, Zuckerberg, the CTCL funds or the Zuck bucks that were pouring into certain counties. And we saw that those counties, for example, had extremely high absentee ballot rates. Like, for example, in Charleston, it was 73% absentee ballots. You mean compared to the total ballots? 
73% of the ballots that were cast in Charleston were absentee ballots. What, what about previous years? What were their percentage? Oh, of course, much lower, much lower. You know, it might have been 25, 30%. I'm, I'm picking up it, but much lower because of the, obviously, the effect of the um, pandemic, but also the funds from CTCL, which were, you know, encouraging people to do the absentee ballots. And that's where, you know, fraud tends to occur in the absentee ballots. Oh, I got you. I got you. Well, now, I understand that y'all did what what's called poll observation in this mm-hmm. most recent primary, not not in the 2020 election, but in this recent primary. What, what were your findings there? Yeah, it was really disconcerting as well because we found that the election laws were not being followed. And once again, laws are made for a reason. They're not optional. So, for example, and it sounds tiny, but it's a big thing. I mean, poll workers are supposed to take an oath. And after they take that oath, it's supposed to be filed with the clerk of uh, common pleas at the county court um, office. And if there's no county court of common pleas, then it's supposed to go to the um, secretary of state and be filed. Well, none of the counties were filing those oaths. And only one, I think, Richland County did. So that was really odd. Um, And then they were supposed to be observing the um, absentee ballot envelopes um, two days prior to the election day, no earlier than that. And they were doing it as they came in. So they were just flouting the laws, just not even observing the laws. And that's just two examples. But we also found machine glitches where the machine was flipping votes from one candidate to another. So someone would go and vote and they could they had to press like maybe seven times in order to get that vote to go to the candidate they wanted, it would they would press it, it would go on that candidate, and all of a sudden it would flip. So we don't know if they caught that or they didn't catch it every time. Um, we know that there was poor or no chain of custody with respect to the ballots, the thumb drives, and the equipment as it came from the county out to the precincts. We also know that there were races that were missing from the ballots. Um, for example, due to we think it's due to redistricting. So here's an example. Mike Covert, who was in Beaufort County, he went to go vote in his own election. He was running and he wasn't on his ballot. Oh, my goodness. You got to be <laughs> kidding me. No. And so he went to them and said, wait a second. This race isn't on my ballot. And they said, oh, well, you know, whatever. They kind of brushed it off. And he said, no, no, you don't understand. I am running in this race. And so I would like to vote for myself, and I am not on my own ballot. And they found out that due to the redistricting, that it was not printing out on that ballot. And he was voting on the Friday um, at the very last day you could do that for the early voting in person. And so how many people had voted and they didn't see that race on there? You see what I'm saying? Because oh, it's yeah. a local race. Yeah. So, And the other thing, and this was very um, concerning to me. We have these tamper-resistant seals that go on the top of the machine that are supposed to protect you from going and tampering with, for example, the flash drive that's in the machine that helps, you know, tab. it's basically recording the votes. And that was missing, broken, or voided in several machines across the state that we saw. Well, my wife was a poll worker, and she observed that herself. Wow, and she worked that's with amazing. A, she worked with a woman who had been a poll worker for 20 years. And right. this lady told her that in all of her 20 years, she had never, ever seen that happen. Wow. 
Yeah. So I don't know whether that's poor training or, you know, it's, it's just not, it's not a good practice. It's a best practice to keep that tamper resistant seal on the machine. And in many states, if it's missing, the results are null and void. So that should have been properly applied and kept on there. And if not, it should have been replaced. And so that was not happening in many counties. All right. Well, now <clears throat> I saw a, a video with uh, Josiah Magnuson, my representative from here in the upstate, of a uh, a meeting that you all had in Columbia. Um, I can't remember the exact date, but it was sharing the results of canvassing mm-hmm. that that your organization conducted after the um, that was. I, I'm not sure how to explain what that was was about but tell tell my audience about that meeting in Columbia. Sure. Um so we had canvassed from late summer to well, well into January and then in February we had our canvas reveals. So we took all those results and we tabulated and once again all of these results are compiled and summarized on our website which is sc.safeelections.org. And I read so through we, that whole summary, and I I was appalled. I want you to know that I, I, yeah. I, I went through it very, very carefully, and I was amazed. I was appalled. I was shocked. I, mm. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I mean, and what was interesting, I was the um, captain for Lexington, and um, well, I was the co-captain. We had three captains. It was an excellent team in Lexington. Um, and we, we did canvas eight major counties. So in Lexington, we had... We, we went through, in, in many of the counties, the people who were 90 and over, and we found many of them that were deceased that were on the rolls. But in Lexington, 10% of those people who were deceased were also had voted. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Post-death. Post-death. So, and some of it was in 2016, and, and a couple were in 2020. But the whole point is no one should be voting post-death. And we also found people who had moved many, many years ago. So we'd knock on the door and say, hey this person voted from this address in 2020. Were they living here? No, I've been here for four years. They they were the previous owner. Um, and so that was an ineligible vote. We saw people who were voting from commercial dresses, um, graveyards, empty lots, vacant houses, um, people who we went to their door and we asked them if they voted and they said, yes, I did. And then we found out that the vote was not counted because it said no, that they did not vote on the official voter roll. So that's what we call lost vote. And of course, people are very upset when they find out that their vote doesn't count. You better believe I would be upset. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, you know, people lose faith in the electoral system if they realize that their vote does not count or if they realize that there are people who are, are being counted as having voted who are out of state or deceased. Exactly. It, it makes the whole electoral process suspect, and it, mm-hmm. and it causes people to be disenchanted and feel disenfranchised, and it makes people throw up their hands and say, what's the use? Yeah, and we don't want them to do that because we want them to vote. That's how we fight this until we can figure out how to fix this. And and that's why, see, what we're doing is we're almost like a watchdog, right? We're just citizens who are observing the process and trying to understand it better. And by doing so, we're hoping that we're creating a sense of quality control for our election commission. Because if we won't, you know, review what they're doing and make sure there's some quality control, who will? 
uh, the voter rolls were a mess. And so we're hoping that when we find these issues that they're able to clean them up. But we should be voting. So, for example, in, in Arizona most recently, I think that was the whole reason Carrie Lake won, because the people voted. They voted um, in numbers. They voted the day of the election rather than in absentee or early voting. And um, they voted late in the day. And that's how you kind of fight the system. You you fight the algorithm or you fight what's whatever's going on in terms of the fraud. And we don't know for sure. And there's a million ways to there's it's death by a thousand cuts right there's lots of different ways to cheat but um i think that's that we need to get out and vote so i hate that people are discouraged and i know i felt the same way for a long time but um we have to fight it by showing that we are going to vote that we are we do care and that we and to be poll observers right so if people are, are frustrated like yourself um go out and be a, a poll worker like your wife and be a, or be a poll observer or you know, you know, try to volunteer in some other way or contribute some funds so that we can fight this legally. Um, there's lots of different ways that people can contribute to the effort if they're frustrated, because I know sometimes it is frustrating feeling like you can't do anything about it. Well, now, after your unveiling, which I saw um, on a, a video production, it was a quality production, by the way, Did were there any House of Representative members or senators that have become a champion for you and taken up the cause? Yes, we had three there that day, Josiah Magnuson, Vic Dabney, and RJ May. And then since then, we have been working with some more people. So we've been talking to Mike Burns and also Tom Corbin. And, um, you know, they were um, very helpful and, and, and Josiah as well. And they've been helping us try to get those cast vote records. And as you saw there in the Gateway Pundit article, there were a number of other reps also that signed on to that. And I believe another senator as well. So um, I think, you know, a lot has changed in a year. We're seeing, whereas before they were kind of looking at us like, are you sure, you know, Trump won, it's a red state. What's the big deal? I think it, it, so much has changed in a year. So many more people are upset about this. We're not going away. They all thought we'd stop. They all thought we'd go away. They all thought we'd forget about 2020. And if anything, we're more passionate about it. We're more concerned about it. And we want to do, we want to explore more. So um, I'm not giving up. Listen, I spend 18 hours of my day working on this and I do it because I love what I do. I love the people involved. I love my state. I love my country. And it's not about Trump. This is about each individual voter's freedom. And we need to fight for it. And more of us have to wake up and start thinking about this and doing something. Because if we don't, we're going to lose our country, our dear country, our dear republic. You're exactly right. I appreciate that. I really do, Laura. I, I want you to know <laughs> I appreciate that dearly. Well, now, what are, what are the main goals of your organization? Well, I think I want to make sure that we get rid of the machines. That would be nice. Um, we we just really are concerned about the machines in general. Well, tell us tell us more specifically. What are the the people don't fully understand what the issues are with the voting machines? Kind of kind of tell us a little more about that. Yeah, I mean the machines are a big black box, and what most people don't realize is that you just can't rely on them. People use them because they're supposed to be efficient, right? But they're not necessarily accurate. And so we we don't we don't 
trust them because we know that they can be hacked. We know that you don't even necessarily be connected to the internet to be hacked or compromised. You can you can affect them with the thumb drives. They can be programmed ahead of time. They, there's, a, like I said, a thousand ways that you can, you know, get into the machines. And it's a black box. Our own SEC doesn't have access to those machines. We don't have access to, access to the proprietary algorithms and source, source codes that are involved in those machines. And when I say machines, I also am talking about the overall system. It's a very complex system, and it's consisting of not just the machines, but also other components, some of which are manufactured overseas, and we call those commercial off-the-shelf components. So our lovely um, cyber expert, and we've got a number of them in our group, but Burl Smith did a really deep dive and did a huge white paper on machine vulnerabilities. And he, he's got a copy of that on our website as well. And he's found over 100 in the ESNS system that was used in the 2020 election, as well as over 100 vulnerabilities in the ESNS system that was involved in our 2022 primary. So these systems are fragile. They have they can be exposed to viruses. They're they're counting our votes overseas. They're big black boxes that our own election commission and our own citizens can't have any access to. We've basically relegated the responsibility for our elections over to corporations. Now I understand that that some of these these machines are owned by companies overseas that have actually gone belly up or bankrupt is that correct mm -hmm. yeah so CITL, which is who we utilize to report our results they are a spanish company and they were going bankrupt just prior to the 2020 election and they were bought by uh, you know bought out the last minute and um you know these are once again fairly opaque transactions but a foreign entity is responsible for counting our votes. And once again, they have a very black box environment that we don't have access to, to know what's happening in that. And there's a lot of mixing and shuffling of the data and it's encrypted and it's decrypted. It's extremely complex. And we don't know what happens. We don't know that when our vote is very simply, we do not know that when our vote goes into the machine, that it comes out and it's sacrosanct. We don't know that for sure. We They cannot prove that to us. And that's why we've always wanted an audit. And we always want hand count audits because not only that, but when you print out your ballot and you might look at, okay, it said I voted for, you know, Joe and Jane and Tom, but then what, what the contabulator is reading is a barcode at the top of the paper ballot. So it's regardless of what it says on the bottom of that ballot, it's really a coded ballot that the tabulators reading that barcode. So we don't know what the barcode says. Mm -hmm. I understand. Now, our Constitution says that our votes should be cast in secret, but counted in public. Am I not correct? Yes, they should not be counted in secret. And unfortunately, they are being counted in secret. There's no way you can tell me that they're not being counted in secret. And we believe that's a constitutional issue that we are now going against our Constitution. And so that is an issue. And that's why we want the cast vote record and they're not allowing us to have it because we can then see the pattern of the votes as they come in and look to see if there's any kind of weird, weird things going on. And wouldn't it be nice if we could prove that there aren't? Now, who, who is in opposition to your organization or us as private citizens seeing the cast vote record? Well, the SEC, the Election Commission, does not want to hand that over. They believe that's illegal. 
And we're trying to claim that it's not because once again, 24 other states are getting it. There's no privately identifiable information. Um, the AG wrote an opinion, um, the AG's office, the attorney general's office saying that it was illegal. And, but they used an argument with a case from 1939 that is not even how we're voting now. So it just, the whole thing just doesn't make sense. It's, it's silly. So you're telling me that 24 other states have access to their cast vote record, Correct. but yet South Carolina citizens cannot. That is right. Even Georgia. I mean, think about how messed up Georgia was and Michigan, and they are allowing their cast vote records to go out and be analyzed. So. Well, what, what, is our, what is our next step? How, what are we going to be able to do? I think we're going to have to go and take legal action against them to get them, unfortunately. Now, which means my understanding is that the cast vote record is destroyed after two years. That's coming up in September, correct? Yeah, 22 months, September 3rd. So we have to take some legal action to preserve those records. It's That data has to be preserved. It's To me, a crime was committed against America, and we need to preserve that evidence, and it's so important. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, now let's talk a little bit about the election integrity bill. Uh, a bill was mm-hmm. passed to improve election integrity in South Carolina, and a lot of mm-hmm. uh, ballyhoo went on about that bill. But there were a lot of folks who were still not happy about that bill, thinking it did not go far enough. Can you talk to us a little bit about that, Miss Laura? Yeah, it took a couple steps backward because it instituted that early voting period. And so the early voting of that two weeks or at least 12 days prior to Election Day where people can vote in person. And so that is just an opportunity. Once again, anytime you give people, you know, the advanced data, they can tweak an algorithm if it's in there and potentially, you know, cheat. So um, the early voting gives them more of an opportunity to understand what's happening with the data so they can tweak it. Um, And that's just my philosophy. And that's what other people are, you know, that's their hypothesis. And so also the same thing with absentee balloting, you want to minimize absentee balloting and early voting. And so that to me, they did minimize the absentee balloting a little bit, but they still have fairly, you know, broad definitions of people that can still um, acquire absentee ballots. I would like to see that minimized. Mm -hmm. I would like to see one day of voting. That's what we always had in South Carolina. And because of COVID, it went to like 40 days. And then they were like, oh, well, look, we're we're reducing it to 12 days of of early voting. Well, no, no, no. It should be one day of in-person voting, no early voting. So that to me was a big, big, big problem with the bill. I, I do agree with the accountability. There were, there were lots of other good things about the bill that I, I can applaud, um, you know, increased accountability. Um, they made the penalties um, for, uh, you know, any kind of election fraud or problems, um, felonies instead of misdemeanors. Um, so there were some, some good aspects of the bill that we liked, but the early voting to me, that period, that just seemed to cancel out all the, the good stuff. And and the other thing that's good is they they have to give the voter rolls to in January, I think January 10th of every year to the um to the legislators. And so I think that, you know, they are enhancing the accountability of the election commission a bit. 
but I'd like to see more accountability and, and, and I'd like to see that early voting go away. And I'd love to see the machines go, but that's like my dream. <laughs> well, now it sounds to me like the election commission is, is uh, antagonistic to your efforts. I mean, they, if anybody should have an, a vested interest in having election integrity, it should be the South Carolina election commission. Am, am I right? Yeah, I don't think they think it's a problem. I just, they don't think there's an issue. They don't think there's fraud, but their voter rolls were so dirty and a mess. And I think they're in the process of trying to clean them up. But the problem is in South Carolina, a lot of people don't realize this. When we take people off the rolls, quote unquote, we make them inactive. We don't technically delete them from the rolls. So even if someone died, they're not removed from the rolls. And so this is a problem. We need to change even the national, there's something called the National Voter Rights Act. And that is something that dictates a lot of these rules. So even though our state law might say remove, delete, the National Voter Rights Act says make them inactive. So you could technically have someone on those rolls, even though they're dead or they moved away for up to eight years. And it's ridiculous. So they can come back to life. And <laughs> exactly. Vote. And so this is the problem. <laughs> they can be switched from inactive to active. And um, it's just not good. We need to go to paper poll books, paper ballots. All right, that's going to be my question. If we lived in a perfect voting yes. world, what would you recommend? I would want to go back to hand-counted paper ballots, paper poll books, because we want to make to me, it's worth it. Number one, we can make that accurate. We can make sure it's done at the local level. We can keep the precinct size low so that we can do this in an effective way. And, you know, the bottom line there is people have more trust in the actual um, results. Because right now, I have to say that we don't. Even when, like, when Carrie Lake won in Arizona, I thought that's great, but I don't believe that result. There's no way that she just squeaked by, there that she won by just a few percentage points. She 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 must have she should have won by far more. So we we don't trust the results of our elections right now, and that is a problem. That's a problem because people don't vote when they don't think their vote counts. They will stay home. Yeah, and that scares the legislators. They they don't want to see that. So I think, you know, we need obviously there's some more information that needs to come out. This is a a process and um we need to, and also we need to close in a perfect world, we need to close the primaries. Yes, I agree. So with that. important we need to close primaries. I agree. All right, and we got about two minutes left. So I'm gonna ask you the last question. What can people do to help save our elections? And how can they help South Carolina safe elections? Well, the best thing you can do is get involved at your local level. Join your precinct, your local precinct. Try to become a delegate and or um, an EC, which is an executive committee man, because then you can vote in your um, county meetings, whether it's a GOP or it's a Democratic, you know, either way. Um, then you have a voice, right? Try to run yourself. Um, if you're going to vote, please don't vote absentee. Please try to vote the day of and as late as you possibly can. As long as you're in line by 7 p.m., you can vote. And um, in terms of helping us, you know, if you've, you know, join our Telegram page, go on our website, poke around. Um, there's many ways you can get involved. You can contact me. You can volunteer as a poll observer and, you um, that just get engaged, you know, just find out more yourself. The more you know, the more you can 
spread the word to others. And that's the key thing is awareness. And if you guys are involved in a legal battle, you're going to need financial support? Yeah, we have a Give, Send, Go account right now um, that's up there. So, um, you know, any little support could would be helpful there as well. We're, we're hoping that's just a short-term thing in order to do that FOIA challenge. So. All right. Well, I gave a financial contribution last week. I, I want you to know that. that. Thank you so much. That's so appreciated. Go check out your website, South Carolina Safe Elections. Mm-hmm. And I'm listening to... Uh, Laura Shar with South Carolina Safe Elections, and you're listening to More Than Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Jackson. Thank you for listening to this edition of More Than Medicine. For more information about the Jackson Family Ministry, Dr. Jackson's books, or to schedule a speaking engagement, go to their Facebook page, Instagram, or their webpage at jacksonfamilyministry.com. This podcast is produced by Bob Sloan Audio Production at bobsloan.com.